Chapter 13 of My Lady's Money. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Dion Gines, Salt Lake City, Utah. My Lady's Money by Wilkie Collins. Chapter 13. While the strange proceedings of the steward were the subject of conversation between Lady Lydiard and Mr. Troy, Moody was alone in his room, occupied in writing to Isabel. Being unwilling that any eyes but his own should see the address, he had himself posted his letter. The time that he had chosen for leaving the house proving, unfortunately, to be also the time proposed by her ladyship for his interview with the lawyer. In ten minutes after the footman had reported his absence, Moody returned. It was then too late to present himself in the drawing-room. In the interval, Mr. Troy had taken his leave, and Moody's position had dropped a degree lower in Lady Lydiard's estimation. Isabel received her letter by the next morning's post. If any justification of Mr. Troy's suspicions had been needed, the terms in which Moody wrote would have amply supplied it. Dear Isabel, I hope I may call you Isabel without offending you in your present trouble. I have a proposal to make, which, whether you accept it or not, I beg you will keep a secret from every living creature but ourselves. You will understand my request when I add that these lines relate to the matter of tracing the stolen banknote. I have been privately in communication with a person in London who is, as I believe, the one person competent to help us in gaining our end. He has already made many inquiries in private. With some of them I am acquainted. The rest he has thus far kept to himself. The person to whom I allude particularly wishes to have a half an hour's conversation with you in my presence. I am bound to warn you that he is a very strange and very ugly old man, and I can only hope that you will look over his personal appearance in consideration of what he is likely to do for your future advantage. Can you conveniently meet us at the farther end of the row of villas in which your aunt lives the day after tomorrow at four o'clock? Let me have a line to say if you will keep the appointment, and if the hour named will suit you. And believe me, your devoted friend and servant, Robert Moody. The lawyer's warning to her to be careful how she yielded too readily to any proposal of Moody's recurred to Isabel's mind while she read those lines. Being pledged to secrecy, she could not consult Mr. Troy she was left to decide for herself. No obstacle stood in the way of her free choice of alternatives. After their early dinner at three o'clock, Miss Pink habitually retired to her own room to meditate, as she expressed it. Her meditations inevitably ended in a sound sleep of some hours, and during that interval Isabel was at liberty to do as she pleased. After considerable hesitation, her implicit belief in Moody's truth and devotion, assisted by a strong feeling of curiosity to see the companion with whom the steward had associated himself, 
decided Isabel on consenting to keep the appointment. Taking up her position beyond the houses, on the day and at the hour mentioned by Moody, she believed herself to be fully prepared for the most unfavorable impression which the most disagreeable of all possible strangers could produce. But the first appearance of old Sharon, as dirty as ever, clothed in a long, frowsy, gray overcoat, with his pug-dog at his heels, and his smoke-blackened pipe in his mouth, with a tan white hat on his head, which looked as if it had been picked up in a gutter, a hideous leer in his eyes, and a jaunty trip in his walk, took her so completely by surprise that she could only return Moody's friendly greeting by silently pressing his hand. As for Moody's companion, to look at him for a second time was more than she had resolution to do. She kept her eyes fixed on the pug-dog, and with good reason. As far as appearances went, he was indisputably the nobler animal of the two. Under the circumstances, the interview threatened to begin in a very embarrassing manner. Moody, disheartened by Isabel's silence, made no attempt to set the conversation going. He looked as if he meditated a hasty retreat to the railway station which he had just left. Fortunately, he had at his side the right man, for once, in the right place. Old Sharon's effrontery was equal to any emergency. "'I am not a nice-looking old man, my dear, am I?' he said, leering at Isabel with cunning, half-closed eyes. "'Bless your heart, you'll soon get used to me. You see, I am the sort of color, as they say at the linen drapers, that doesn't wash well. It's all through love. Upon my life it is. Early in the present century I had my young affections blighted, and I've neglected myself ever since.' Disappointment takes different forms, miss, in different men. I don't think I have had heart enough to brush my hair for the last fifty years. She was a magnificent woman, Mr. Moody, and she dropped me like a hot potato. Dreadful, dreadful. Let us pursue this painful subject no further. Ha! Here's a pretty country. Here's a nice blue sky. I admire the country, miss. I see so little of it, you know. Have you any objection to walk along into the fields? The fields, my dear, bring out all the poetry of my nature. Where's the dog? Here, Puggy. Puggy. Hunt about, my man, and find some dog grass. Does his inside good, you know, after a meat diet in London. Lord, how I feel my spirits rising in this fine air. Does my complexion look any brighter, miss? Will you run a race with me, Mr. Moody, or will you oblige me with a back at Leapfrog? I'm not mad, my dear young lady. I'm only merry. I live, you see, in the London stink, and the smell of the hedges and the wild flowers is too much for me at first. It gets into my head, it does. I'm drunk. As I live by bread, I'm drunk on fresh air. Oh, what a jolly day! Oh, how young and innocent I do feel! Here his innocence got the better of him, and he began to sing, I wish I were a little fly in my love's bosom for to lie. Hello! 
here we are on the nice soft grass and oh my gracious there's a bank running down into a hollow i can't stand that you know mr moody hold my hat and take the greatest care of it here goes for a roll down the bank he handed his horrible hat to the astonished moody laid himself flat on the top of the bank and deliberately rolled down it exactly as he might have done when he was a boy the tails of his long gray coat flew madly in the wind the dog pursued him jumping over him and barking with delight he shouted and screamed in answer to the dog as he rolled over and over faster and faster and when he got up on the level ground and called out cheerfully to his companions standing above him i say you two i feel twenty years younger already human gravity could hold out no longer the sad and silent moody smiled and isabel burst into fits of laughter there he said didn't i tell you you would get used to me miss there's a deal of life left in the old man yet isn't there shy me down my hat mr moody and now we'll get to business he turned round to the dog still barking at his heels business puggy he called out sharply and puggy instantly shut up his mouth and said no more well now old sharon resumed when he had joined his friends and had got his breath again let's have a little talk about yourself miss has mr moody told you who i am and what i want with you very good may i offer you my arm no you like to be independent don't you all right i don't object i am an amiable old man i am about this lady lydiard now suppose you tell me how you first got acquainted with her in some surprise at this question isabel told her little story observing sharon's face while she was speaking moody saw that he was not paying the smallest attention to the narrative his sharp shameless black eyes watched the girl's face absently his gross lips curled upwards in a sardonic and self-satisfied smile he was evidently setting a trap for her of some kind without a word of warning while isabel was in the middle of a sentence the trap opened with the opening of old sharon's lips i say he burst out how came you to seal her ladyship's letter eh the question bore no sort of relation direct or indirect to what isabel happened to be saying at the moment in the sudden surprise of hearing it she started and fixed her eyes in astonishment on sharon's face the old vagabond chuckled to himself did you see that he whispered to moody i beg your pardon miss he went on i won't interrupt you again lord how interesting it is ain't it mr moody please to go on miss but isabel though she spoke with perfect sweetness and temper declined to go on i had better tell you sir how i came to seal her ladyship's letter she said if i may venture on giving my opinion that part of my story seems to be the only part of it which relates to your business with me to-day without further preface she described the circumstances which had led to her assuming the perilous responsibility of sealing the letter old sharon's wandering attention began to wander again he was evidently occupied in setting another trap 
For the second time he interrupted Isabel in the middle of a sentence. Suddenly stopping short, he pointed to some sheep at the further end of the field through which they happened to be passing at the moment. "'There's a pretty sight,' he said. "'There are the innocent sheep a-feeding, all following each other as usual. And there's the sly dog waiting behind the gate till the sheep wants his services.' reminds me of old sharon and the public he chuckled over the discovery of the remarkable similarity between the sheep-dog and himself and the sheep and the public and then burst upon isabel with a second question i say didn't you look at the letter before you sealed it certainly not isabel answered not even at the address no thinking of something else eh very likely said isabel was it your new bonnet my dear isabel laughed women are not always thinking of their new bonnets she answered old sharon to all appearance dropped the subject there he lifted his lean brown forefinger and pointed again this time to a house at a short distance from them that's a farmhouse surely he said i'm thirsty after my roll down the hill do you think miss that they would give me a drink of milk "'I am sure they would,' said Isabel. "'I know the people. Shall I go and ask them?' "'Thank you, my dear. One word more before you go. About the sealing of that letter. What could you have been thinking of while you were doing it?' He looked hard at her and took her suddenly by the arm. "'Was it your sweetheart?' he asked in a whisper. The question instantly reminded Isabel that she had been thinking of Hardyman while she sealed the letter. She blushed as the remembrance crossed her mind. Robert, noticing the embarrassment, spoke sharply to old Sharon. "'You have no right to put such a question to a young lady,' he said. "'Be a little more careful for the future.' "'There, there, don't be hard on me,' pleaded the old rogue. "'An ugly old man like me may make his innocent little joke, eh, miss? I'm sure you're too sweet-tempered.' to be angry when I meant no offense. Show me that you bear no malice. Go like a forgiving young angel and ask for the milk. Nobody appealed to Isabel's sweetness of temper in vain. I will do it with pleasure, she said, and hastened away to the farmhouse. End of chapter 13